The first passage is from Revelation 2, verses 12 through 17. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. And then the second passage is the chapter Revelation number 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, 
Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured out from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. I was watching from the welcome room, and when Michael stepped down without reading the text, I panicked. And then you remembered. Thank you. It's passages like these that uh, lead me to wonder sometimes why I became a pastor. I'm just going to explain all this in 25 minutes. But I have loved reading the Revelation. And this is one of the chapters that um, when I was in my late teens and early 20s and was first beginning to really study the scriptures, confused me. And when I returned to it last year in preparation for the series, I was like, oh, this is the incarnation. This is the story of the church throughout time. It's encouraging and it was encouraging for me to realize that. Uh, I need a brave person from each row to just kind of wave at me. Been told that, somebody from here, just wave. And I'm gonna tell you what you do is a lot this section. Over here, I know who it is over here already. This morning I got going real fast. And so I need those of you that are brave if I start going real fast to just go like this. Okay. I didn't take any antihistamines. When I take antihistamines, it gets real bad. If I start going too fast, I need you to let me know. So the revelation, Jesus' words to the churches and then the vision that John received and penned for the seven churches it was to be delivered to and to us, has no hesitation in using military imagery to make the points that are made in the rest of the scriptures but appear differently to us through the revelation. And the question that's asked repeatedly is, whose are you? Where is your allegiance? 
You know, in a military setting, there's no such thing as I don't have an allegiance. You're either for this army or for that one. Even if you're a mercenary, what does that tell the opposing side? Well, they're with us if we have the money and they might turn on us at any time, so their allegiance is to themselves. In the language of the Revelation, if your allegiance is to yourself, then it is actually in the hands of the evil one, which is not great news unless we have a gospel of Jesus that pursues us, draws us into allegiance with him, and then leads us to eternal security safety and peace because of that gospel the revelation asks the question where is our allegiance prophetically similarly to the to the prophets of the old testament it asks it apocalyptically by displaying to us what's happening in the spiritual realms in a in a way that transcends time i hope you caught that in chapter 12 a lot of those things happened a long time ago and are still happening in terms of the way the scripture reveals it to us. But the revelation also asks where our allegiance is as a local human. That's why we're utilizing the letters to the churches throughout the series. I don't want to just focus on the letters and then move into the text for a couple of reasons. One, they're harsh. Because living as a follower of Christ in a bent and broken world is often a harsh reality. And so the letters are harsh in their love. Jesus described Antipas the way that he is described in chapter one. The man who was killed in the church of Pergamum that's referenced in chapter two is described the same way Jesus is described. So that's harsh in its love. It's also harsh that the church is tolerating false teaching and needs to quit it. So the revelation asks us prophetically and apocalyptically and in a local way, where is your allegiance? You know, sometimes Christians talk about Satan and, um, as, a, as a metaphor, as in any of his minions or any of his power. And I don't love that. And yet here's Jesus speaking about Satan and his effect in a metaphorical way. There isn't actually a throne of Satan in Pergamum. There was a throne to the goddess Roma. There was a throne to uh, Caesar and what Jesus is saying to the church and asking John to deliver to them is when you believe that you can both call Jesus Lord and Caesar Lord, you're making a tremendous mistake because you cannot give your allegiance to both. This is also Balaam as an anecdote that Jesus is using. I don't know if you know the story of Balaam. It's from the book of Numbers. I don't know how familiar you are with the scripture. It's interesting because the book Numbers makes us think it would not be an interesting book. Balaam literally has a donkey that talks to him. He beats the donkey. The donkey's like, why are you beating me? Like, this all happens in the book of Numbers, and I'm afraid you think the Bible's a boring book. But what ends up happening is Balaam also, can, he's, a, by the way, a, um, the king that he served under is Balak, and Balak says to, or Balak, I don't know how to say it, he sends Balaam, who is a prophet of another religion, to curse the Israelites, but God, being the only God who actually exists, convinces Balaam not to do that. Kind of a funny story, worth reading. But through Balaam's influence, the Israelites believe that they can both be Israelites, followers of God, and followers of local Canaanite culture with respect to idol worship and sexual immorality. And it goes very poorly for them. So Jesus is linking the teaching of the Nicolaitans 
with the story of Balaam and saying you cannot call the things of this culture and world Lord and Jesus Lord and that's dangerous it was illegal at that time in that place to call Jesus Lord and to not call Caesar Lord and yet Jesus speaks plainly that there is but one Lord Pergamum was pinned down but they had one option and that option was to trust that the good news of Jesus is not only salvific it not only saves us from hell into life eternally with God it's also light and life and guidance today and when we follow it we display we witness to the hope that we have in us You catch all the warring imagery even in chapter 2 before we even get to chapter 12 and I will talk about chapter 12. It'll all be clear after we're done, I promise. <laughs> I don't really, right? You know that. I don't really promise. I'll just, I'll talk about it. I'll promise that. But even in chapter 2, the word conquer and sword and stumbling block and manna and secret stone, what's happening is the throne of Satan, which is what Jesus is calling belief that you can be uh, what people call syncretism. That you can be fully immersed in the culture and follow that and call it Lord and call Jesus Lord. The problem is the throne convinces us to worship things that are not God. That's what the throne of Satan was in Pergamum and is in our lives as well. And you know, we do it in these little ways that are not actually little in a spiritual sense. What do you spend money on effortlessly? Might need to consider whether we're asking that thing to deliver peace to our heart. That's what the rest of the New Testament would call idol worship, I-D-O-L. We do it in little ways and yet the revelation, part of the reason it's so important to, for us to understand in the Christian life is it shows us what it looks like in the spiritual realm when we create an idol out of stuff or financial security, or sex. If God exists and he loves us and he offers us his salvation, then the way that we approach everything about life is different. The way we approach our words, the way that we approach food and drink, the way that we approach finance, the way that we approach one another, the way that we approach our bodies and our sexuality are all guided by Jesus. And the one option that we have is something that sounds odd and boring and oppressive. In chapter 2, verse 16, there's one option. Therefore, repent. Which is a lifestyle that we learn that sounds, I think, odd or boring and religious. And yet, what the Westminster Confession of Faith calls it is repentance unto life. Because in a world so broken so full of evil and sickness, learning to turn to Jesus and worship him and turn away from the many things the world would encourage us to worship is actually our only hope, both for flourishing here and for eternity. And so in the same way that the only option available to the Pergamum Turkish Christians was to turn away from Roma and to turn away from the marketplaces that were selling meat sacrificed to idols and to turn to Jesus and to worship him. 
It is different for us living in this country. It is not illegal to say Jesus is Lord, and yet it is the same spiritually that we are tempted to worship other things that not only can be good things in our life if we don't worship them, but when we do, we are turning away from worshiping Christ. Pergamum was pinned down on all sides. They had one option, and that was to repent, which was to turn away from worshiping anything but Jesus, to turn towards worshiping him, and then to do the same with our neighbors, not worship them, but turn towards them, learn to turn away from our harmful practices or words. And this Jesus is the one being talked about in chapter 12. The one born who will rule the nations with a rod of iron. That's quoting Psalm 2. My mind was blown yesterday realizing that I've been familiar with Psalm 2 for a long time and had not really realized how much it overlaps with the revelation. The revelation is not only important because of how it evokes our imagination, but how it interconnects the rest of the scriptures with us. I wonder what it's like. I don't know all of you, and I assume we have people who are not yet followers of Christ considering the gospel, and I wonder what it's like for someone who's not a Christian to listen to the revelation, and yet I wonder if you catch the internal consistency of the scriptures. As challenging and odd as the book is, do you notice that this is similar to the curse? Probably not if you haven't read the scriptures, but Genesis chapter three, verse 15, describes this. That a child of fallen men and women will crush the head of the serpent. And Psalm 2 is another connection point to this, that there will be one who will rule the nations with a rod of iron. And then there's all this about Satan and Michael and the dragon. When did he rebel? Let's point out, first of all, that the vision that Jesus gave to John and the way that John wrote it down Really not very concerned with when did this happen. But for our purposes, when did this happen? It was before humans were even created. Or at least right after, depending on how long that took. One of my favorite authors' name is John Eldridge, and he he describes the, the story of the scriptures as five acts. And act one is actually rebellion in heaven because it precedes the time that Adam and Eve stopped trusting God's good heart for them because Satan is there in the garden, no longer Lucifer, a being of light. So when did this happen? See, the revelation is teaching us what our lives look like in light of Jesus' imminent return. And for us to understand that, we need to be given the spiritual picture of the incarnation of Jesus and the reality of what the bride of Christ looks like from heaven. I think perhaps a better question than who is the woman is who isn't the woman? We recognize uh, Eve in the way that Genesis speaks about her and her role. We recognize the nation of Israel coming out of its uh, captivity to the nation of Egypt. A lot of Egyptian um, symbolism and direct reference. When the woman is given wings like an eagle, that's, Exodus, that's, that's a throwback to Exodus 19. Before Jesus gives the Ten Commandments, but after he, 
before God gave the, well, it's Jesus, right, because the Trinity, but before God gave the Ten Commandments, but after he'd rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, he, dis- he says to them in Exodus chapter 19, verses four through six, remember that I bore you up on eagle's wings and rescued you to be a kingdom of priests to the world. The revelation understands the bride of Christ as the new Israel and one that will crush the head of the serpent through its faithful witness, through its sacrificial love. What are these times? In the Revelation, when we have 3.5, that means in the in-between time. And there are three different ways, at least, that the in-between time is described in Revelation. One is 1,260 days, three and a half years, so the time is not yet complete. One is to uh, call it three and a half years. And the other is to call it this phrase from Daniel chapter 12, a time and times. That means that in the in-between time, as we're waiting for Jesus to come back and restore all things, this is the picture of the bride and how she functions. Make sure I get that quote right. and she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. I did get it right, but I should have had my Bible open anyway. And I want to point out to you something Jesus said from Luke chapter 10 to help us see the way that Revelation is is presenting the gospel to us and encouraging us about our life of faith in the midst of a bent and crooked world so that we're freed from thinking about it sequentially. When Jesus sent out the... uh, the disciples to speak about him, they came back and he said this from Luke chapter 10 verses 17 through 20 and again I want you to see if you're not a follower of Christ I want you to understand that the scriptures are incredibly consistent in their picture of God in their picture of us and in their, in their message about how all that works together. The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Incredible. The Genesis 3, verse 15, and Psalm 2, and Daniel 12, and Luke chapter 10, and the revelation that God gave to John decades later agree in their estimation of what a Christian's life looks like in light of Jesus' imminent return. Pergamum was pinned down, and they had one option, which was to turn to Jesus who conquered the dragon. Did you catch in verse 11 that it's already happened? And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they loved not their lives even unto death. The sequencing of the book, if we were to take it chapter one through 22, is much more cinematic, certainly, to turn these into literal things. And yet, John is not interested in us seeing it sequentially. That's why Satan falls twice in this very chapter. I believe the book even uninvites us from it. And in the uninviting, 
of us in, uh, of understanding of the revelation, we're encouraged. I hope that you're encouraged by the fact that the evil one cannot harm you eternally. That's the seal from chapter seven. That's the eagle's wings given to the woman. Even if it can harm us temporally through disease, through the world not being as it should be, it's the quickest overall description of sin. It's not encouraging that Satan still has access to the throne room of heaven. You see that in Job and in other texts. But it is encouraging in the sense that not one thing that he has ever done or accomplished was outside of God's allowance. That bothers us in one sense that he is still allowed to affect the world. But it encourages us in another that for God's purposes and times, he has not yet shackled the dragon, though the dragon is conquered. And in the meantime, what do we do? And this is why the revelation is so critical. Because when I say we continue to share our faith and witness, that doesn't sound exciting. And yet, when you read chapter 12 and see that when we share our faith, kindly paying attention to our neighbors and, and, and how interested they are in the hope that is within us, that is treading on the head of the dragon. When we choose generosity because we're a follower of Christ and he has been so generous to us in his love, that is stomping on the head of the evil one. When we choose to forgive and maybe not go back into that relationship. I'm not going to go off on that tangent. I've preached on it a number of times, but I do want to remind you, it does not mean that unsafe people are safe. That's a whole other conversation that is informed Christianly. But when we forgive, when we do not pay people back for the wrongs they have given us, that is following the commandments of Christ and it is indeed crushing the head of the serpent. And so I ask again, whose are we? Where is your allegiance? If your allegiance is to Christ, be encouraged by this picture of what your life looks like from the king's perspective, from the spiritual realm. When you choose generosity and no one noticed in the spiritual realm that was crushing evil. When you choose forgiveness instead of retribution, and no one knows, not even the person that you forgave. It doesn't feel like something good was just accomplished, partly because it's painful to forgive. You must absorb the pain instead of pay them back. Now, those are your only choices. But when you do that, and you wonder, did anyone notice? And sometimes you know that no one did. In the spiritual realm, from the king's perspective, you just crushed evil with the love of Christ by his power and Holy Spirit. And they, those that call Jesus Lord, those that trust him with their heart and with their decisions, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they, not, they loved not their own lives, even unto death. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. 
which doesn't sound terribly encouraging, except that it has been challenging for you to follow Jesus, not only with your heart, but with your activity. Why is it challenging? Because the dragon is still allowed to roam the earth. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned a summary that Marva Dawn, a theologian in uh, Regent University in Vancouver, gave to Revelation, which is, Jesus is king. Satan thinks he is. Hang in there. Hang in there, followers of Christ. He loves you and he likes you and his good news has secured you eternally. But he has not yet returned and it will be challenging. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for giving this vision to John that we might be encouraged that in your pursuing love you called us to yourself and in your honoring of us you ask us to represent your love to the world. Would you purify this particular gathering of Christ followers? Would you encourage and assure us right now, Holy Spirit, of your love? Would you show us the areas with, that, where we are indeed worshiping something within the culture instead of you, and would you help us to repent of that? Amen.